This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as a Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled Rebellion, and it comes from 2 Samuel 20, 1 through 26. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talking could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and time rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gifts. So won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648. There they can take your information safely and securely over the phone or mail us your gift. Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax exempt ministry. Your contribution is never used as salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class, with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com, or catch us wherever you listen to your podcast. We're there too, whether it's iTunes, Amazon, Google, Apple, we're all there. Just search for WMER, Radio Bible Class, with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. As we've been studying 2 Samuel, over the last 5 to 10 chapters, we've seen David hit his peak and then his house slowly fall downward. We saw the sin that he thought he could get away with that has come back to haunt him. And then we saw the truth that was spoken by the prophet Nathan come to pass. Over the last several weeks, we studied about his son Absalom and his conspiracy that he had to overthrow King David. He felt like King David was no longer a valid king, and so he should be king, and he took it upon himself to create a coup. And he took David's close advisor, Ahithophel, and the two of them came up with a plan. Unfortunately, the plan didn't work. God wasn't behind that plan. Even though Absalom thought he would win, he wound up dying, hanging by an oak tree by the hair of his head. Last week we saw as David returned back to Jerusalem that he gave grace freely out to his family, to the enemies, to the disabled, and even to his friends. If you listen to that lesson, you understand that God has freely given us grace, that we were very similar to the enemy of David, yet God still loved us even when we didn't love him, that he sent his son to die on a cross, that we were given grace freely and we should give that grace freely out to others. We should truly be the hands and feet for Jesus Christ. Well, today we're going to see even though David has won the victory and he's back in Jerusalem, there is still a rebel out there. There are still rebels against him. And so you might ask Tim, what's wrong with being a rebel? We actually celebrate some rebels. Yes, that's true. George Washington and his army fought against the English in the American Revolution. Most of you listening to me probably were born south of the Mason-Dixon line, and sometimes we're called rebels in honor of the Civil War and ancestors that we have, that the rebels fought that Civil War. In the Star Wars trilogy, the good guys in Star Wars are known as the Rebel Alliance, and everyone cheers for them when they defeat the Empire, that evil Empire. Some may even go as far to say that some books and some films paint rebels as heroes. Misfits who are always in trouble at school or always in trouble with the law, 
standing alone, not fitting into the mold, living a life on their own terms, answering to nobody, yet they are sometimes seen as a hero when they overturn what seems to be injustice. Unfortunately, in the real world, that's not as good. That may sound inspiring, but there's a problem. My daughter's a teacher. Teachers and principals tend to frown upon students who disrupt the class by disobeying the rules. Parents don't see that rebellious child as a hero. Criminals who refuse to obey the law don't get a award for being a brave reject to society's laws. The Bible says that one of our biggest problems that all of us have is that we have a rebel living inside of us. If we're not careful, that rebel will ruin us. Listen to what the book of Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, 5, reading out of the New Living Translation. It says, But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Then in verse 6, it goes on to say, All of us were like sheep that have strayed far away. We have left God's plan to follow our own. We are a rebel. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of all of us, talking about Jesus and his work. King David understood rebellion. He wrote in Psalm 51, 3, For I recognize my rebellion, and it haunts me day and night. Psalms 32, 5 says, For I have confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, If I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me, all my guilt is gone. The book of Romans, Romans 3.10, tells us that none of us are righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All of us turned away and have become useless, or we have turned away from the Lord. But the good news is Jesus Christ did come, and he did make a way to ask for forgiveness of our rebellious heart. And today, we need to be reminded the danger of rebellion in our heart that still sits there, even though we are saved. We need to be careful. So with that said, turn with me to 2 Samuel 20. I'll be reading out of the ESV. Now there happened to be there a worthless man whose name was Sheba, the son of Berchite, a Benjamite. And he blew the trumpet and said, We have no portion in David, and we have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. So all the men of Israel withdrew from David and followed Sheba, the son of Berchite. But the men of Judah followed their king steadfastly from the Jordan to Jerusalem. So this is a continuation of the scene we saw at the end of chapter 19 where all of Israel there, the tribes of Israel are there, represented by the men. And we also have the tribes that are in Judah that are there. But anyhow, this evil man, what the Bible calls him, his name Sheba, he blows a trumpet and he says, hey, we, we don't want any part of the king. He's not the rightful king. And everyone should go back to his tent or back to his home. You and I know that David is the rightful king of Israel, and not just because everyone likes him, but because God chose him as king. But Sheba rejects David's authority, and at the same time, he rejects God's authority because God is the one that put David on the throne. God is the one that allowed him to overcome the coup that his son had put against him. Now, you might ask him, why is Sheba against David being king? Well, one, it says here in the second chapter that he is a Benjamite. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, that's the same tribe that Saul came out of. The previous king to David was King Saul, as we've studied, and he was a Benjamite. And so he's probably still angry over Saul's rejection and David's acceptance of being the king of Israel. Others say that he was behind Absalom, and because Absalom lost, he didn't want to accept David as king. 
Others say that he's just tired of all the fussing and fighting going over who's going to be king of the past several years. We're not entirely sure why Sheba tries to start up this rebellion, but he does. He is a rebel. He has no respect for legal authority. And what I want you to understand today, this is something that all rebels share in common, a rejection to authority. Nobody tells me what to do. That's what they'll say. What a rebel believes is that rules were made to be broken. Their ideology says, who needs a boss? Who needs a parent? Who needs God? I can stand on my own and I can do it myself. That's the mentality of a true rebel. And if each of us were to stop and look in a mirror, there's been a time when we've had that attitude. Sadly, I have to admit there's been times that I've had that attitude, and that is a rebellious attitude. Hopefully when you ask Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life, you understood that you can't have that rebellious attitude against his ways. And the Bible tells us that we have to submit to authority. In Ephesians 6, it tells children to obey the parents. That's what is right. In Romans 13, the Bible tells us that we are to subject ourselves to the governing authorities. I know, I know there's corner cases to all this. Like when the government tells you to do something that goes directly against the Bible, that's when it, the government is in rebellion against God and we are to follow God's authority and they're not acting on that. But that's a corner case. The Bible tells us that we are to pay our taxes, we're to obey governing authority, we're to obey our parents, we're to be a good employee and obey our boss. We're supposed to be a good husband, our wife, or our spouse, and work in unison and submit to authority. So for my note takers, today I want you to understand the first thing that we can learn from this chapter is that rebellion always rebels against authority. It doesn't submit to authority, and that is going directly against what the Bible teaches. Now the second thing that I want you to see is that there's always an army that is assembled. Authority will not allow rebellion to take place. So we see again in verse 3, before we jump down to the assembling of an army, that David had to put away those other concubines because Absalom raped these ten concubines as part of his rebellion against David. And now upon his return, David has to set them aside because they were victims of Absalom's sin. Because they had been defiled by his son, he could no longer be familiar with them, but he couldn't divorce them. He couldn't punish them because it wasn't their transgression that put them in this state. So he has compassion and actually shows grace by treating them as widows and putting them out. And I want you to see from this sad state to remind you that our sin has consequences. They were now suffering because Absalom had defiled them. Because of his sin, they were having to pay a price. So sin does have a consequence, and a lot of times it even has it on other folks that didn't create the sin or even commit the sin. Now, I want you to see in verse 4 and 5 that David assembles an army. As a matter of fact, he goes to Amasa. Now, the commentators talk about this, that Joab had killed his son. Some say that he was mad at Joab. Others say that he allowed Amasa, who was the leader for his son Absalom, to step as leader of the army so that he was trying to show peace. This was a sign of grace. Whatever the reason, he tells him to assemble an army. He gives him a timeline. He tells him to assemble them in three days and be present himself. But unfortunately, he misses that appointment. And we see that very fact in verse 5 where it says that he delayed beyond the set time that had been appointed him. So then what does David do? In verse 6, David goes to Abashai. Remember, Abashai is his cousin. And he tells him, 
Now, Sheba, the son of Berthah, will do us more harm than Absalom did. In other words, this rebellion will fester and it will grow if we don't nip it in the bud. He says, take my mighty men and an army and pursue him. Let's get to him before he's fortified and he escapes us in some city. So what this points out is that there's another rebel, remember Joab, who went against the orders of the king, maybe for the right reason, but it still was against the authority that was given to him. And now we're going to see that he rides out with the mighty men and he chases after Sheba. As David gave authority to Abashai, who is also brother to Joab, while he's mustering up all these men, Joab joins the rank and they take off. Amasa finds out that this is going on and he doesn't want to be left out. So what does he do? He takes off too. And we see that in verse 8. When they were at the great stone that is Gibeon, Amasa came to meet them. Now listen to this part though. Now Joab was wearing a soldier's garment and over it was a belt with a sword in its sheath fastened to his thigh. And as he went forward, it fell out. And Joab said to Amasa, It is well with you, my brother. And he took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. But Amasa did not observe the sword that was in Joab's hand. And Joab struck him in the stomach and spilled his guts onto the ground without striking a second blow to him. And he died. So what happens here is that Joab is dressed in all his battle armor. He rides up to the unsuspecting Amasa. He greets him with a smile. And then he asks him, are you in good health, my brother? Now that is because they really are related to one another. Amasa is Joab's cousin. And as he steps closer, Joab allows his sword to come out of his sheath. And he displays affection like they would do in the Middle East. He grabs the beard as if he's going to kiss him. But instead, with his left hand, he thrusts the sword right in his stomach. And at that point, Amasa, all his insides come gushing out. Again, I don't want to put too much of Tim's information onto what the Bible doesn't tell us. But why did he do it? Well, some commentators say that he was jealous. Some say that he was suspicious of Amasa. But the Bible really doesn't tell us for sure. But we see that he truly is a rebel and that he leaves this man after he killed him mercilessly. He leaves him on the ground. He yells to the army and tells them to come on. He doesn't even give him a decent burial. And this is his relative. Just like Absalom's sin hurt the concubines and that they could no longer have relationships because they were unclean. They've been defiled. So they have to be treated as widows. And the one thing that women in the East could do was have children. They can't do that. They are roughly put away. Same thing happens here. We see this merciless killing. Rebels always hurt others. Maybe you're listening to me today and you totally agree with me because you've had a wayward child. A child that rejected everything that you taught them. They've left tears in your eyes. They've left pain in your heart. They've left worry. That child has no longer listened to you, but they've done nothing but hurt you. Maybe your spouse is one that's hurt you because they won't stop drinking or they won't stop doing drugs or they won't stop that extramarital affair. They no longer want you, but they want something else. And that hurt is directly from them and their sin. You know, the problem is when you confront these people, they don't understand that they're hurting other people. As a matter of fact, a common answer is, I'm not hurting anybody but maybe myself. But that's a lie. See, when you're a rebel, you hurt everyone who loves you, everyone who depends on you. Rebellion breaks the hearts of the people who love you most. Rebellion even breaks the heart of God. 
Again, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 65, verse 2, it says, I stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good according to their own thoughts. Some of you listening to me today may not have realized that your rebellion has hurt someone else. You never realized that by rebelling that you were hurting people that loved you. Your rebellion created ripples of pain that affected everyone around you in some way, and you didn't understand that. But part of your repentance should not only be to repent for yourself, but you need to go to those that you've hurt and ask for forgiveness. But when you look back at our passage, we see this rebellious Joab ends in verse 13 saying that Joab pursued Sheba. What do we see in verse 14? We see that Sheba makes it all the way to the tribe of Israel, Abel, that tribe, to that city. He thinks he may have gotten away. He's made it to safety. But what happens? Joab and his men come to Abel and they besiege it. I was preparing for this. One of the things that stood out to me is that this town of Abel was known for wisdom. Yet a fool is hiding right there in the city of this town of wisdom. You might go, Tim, didn't the Bible tell us not to call anyone a fool? Well, the Bible also says anyone that goes against God is a fool. And we see that Sheba is going against what God ordained, what God had set up, the authority that he had put into place. So I think it's okay to call him a fool. And it's funny that a fool is hiding in a town known for their wisdom. Now, why this attack is starting to happen on the town of Abel, the citizens aren't sure what's going on. They don't understand why they're being assaulted. And on the scene comes this wise woman and she meets with Joab. Look at that with me real quick. Verse 16, then a wise woman called from the city, listen, listen, tell Joab, come here that I may speak with you. And he came near to her and the woman said, are you Joab? And he answered, I am. And then she said to him, listen to my words of your servant. And he answered, I am listening. Then she said, they used to say in former times, let them but ask counsel at Abel. And so they settled a matter. That's the part of the wisdom. I am one of those who are peaceable and faithful in Israel. You seek to destroy a city that is the mother of Israel. Why will you swallow up a heritage of the Lord? And Joe answered, Far be it from me, far be it that I should swallow up and destroy. That is not true. But a man of the hill country of Ephraim called Sheba, the son of Bertram, has lifted his hand against King David. Give him up alone, and I will withdraw from the city. And the woman said to Joab, Behold, his head shall be thrown to you over the wall. And then the woman went to all the people with her wisdom, and they cut off the head of Sheba and threw it over the wall to Joab. So he blew the trumpet, and they disappeared from the city, and every man went to his home, and Joab returned to Jerusalem to the king. So as I said, the people of the city have no idea why they're being assaulted. So this woman comes out, and she says, Hey, Who's ever in charge finds out it's Joab. She said, send Joab to me. And so she wants to know why he's come to kill all these innocent people. But Joab answers her and tells her that, hey, I'm only after one man. I'm after this man named Sheba. He says, I'll be glad to leave and leave you alone and all the people alone. Just give me Sheba. And so she says, hey, go outside and we'll return Sheba's head to you. That way you can take it and show whoever you need to. But don't do anything until we give you the word. Now, you got to think about this. Inside the city, Sheba's hidden. He's planning his escape. If these folks can just hold off Joab a little longer, 
He'll sneak out while they're distracted by that. And who cares really what happens to him or to them? But the old woman makes her way through the crowd and explains the situation to the people. Joab doesn't want to hurt us. He has no quarrel with any of us. He wants this stranger that came in here. So let's find him. Let's take and send his head out. Now Sheba's face goes white. You can't be serious. How can these people just turn on me on a nickel or a dime? As a matter of fact, he's probably saying, hey, hold on, let's talk about this. Just give me some time to get away, and then you can tell him that I've left. But that's not what happens. He's not able to make some kind of deal. He's not able to get them to rebel against Joab. And then it finishes up after a period of time. It doesn't really tell us how long, whether it was a few minutes or whether it was an hour. All of a sudden, come sailing over the wall is the head of Sheba. One of the men now brings it to him and confirms that it is Sheba. And with that, they all head back to Jerusalem. The rebel problem has been solved, at least for now. When Sheba made that stand against King David and tried to get the whole nation of Israel to follow him, do you think this is the outcome he thought he would have? I don't think so. My guess is when he made that statement against King David, he pictured that he would go on to be somebody great, somebody big, somebody important. But instead, his pride has brought him down and has now created his death. If he had never rebelled against King David, and even more so against God, he probably would have lived to a ripe old age. But his rebellion stole his future, and it created a death sentence for him. Well, you might ask, Tim, what about Joab? Didn't you tell me he was a rebel too? Well, yeah, he seems to get away with his rebellion right here. But later on, the Bible tells us in 1 Kings that Joab's rebellion catches up with him too. And hopefully as you walk away from this lesson today, you understand this is one of the biggest problems that there is with being a rebel because it's not very smart. You may get away with it in the short term, but ultimately you never really get away with it. You're on a road to destruction. Yeah, you don't have to do what your boss says. You don't have to do what your parents say. You don't have to do what a teacher or coach says. And you may even impress some of your friends because you're a rebel. But guess what? Ultimately, you won't get that promotion or you won't get the next job. Or even if you do land on your feet, the next job may not land so nice for you. That rebel mentality won't always work out for you. It is on a street that takes you to destruction. Proverbs 17.11 tells us, An evil man seeks only rebellion, and a cruel messenger will be sent against him. Ultimately, what the Bible's telling us right there is that rebellion will eventually turn against you. Someone will turn against you, and your way will be to destruction. So even though you think you may be able to thumb your nose at God, and for a while you may get away with it, but you won't get away with it forever. Sooner or later, you will answer to God. The Bible tells us that every knee will bow, and during that judgment, they will confess that he is Lord. Rebels ultimately will have to answer to God. And then for the rest of us, we need to understand there's a rebel in each and every one of our hearts. There's a part of us that doesn't want to obey, that doesn't want to surrender, that doesn't want to submit, and that's called the flesh. We don't even want to submit to God, but the Bible tells us that we have to die daily. We have to pick up our cross and follow him. And when we remember, when we understand of where we are and who we are and the flesh that we fight daily, it makes it easier for us to overcome that rebel spirit that lives in us. But you won't overcome it unless you walk in the spirit and you die to yourself. Let me close with this final thought. On October 22, 1999, there was a professional parachutist 
Her name was Jan Davis, and she was an expert in a dangerous sport called base jumping. That is parachuting off a fixed object like a high cliff or a tower, which most of the time is outlawed. And so what she was doing was she was about to make a jump off a 3,200-foot granite cliff called El Capitan that's in the Yosemite National Park. Now, she knew that base jumping there was outlawed because six other people who had done what she was about to do had died doing it. But her jump was meant as a protest. She was going to prove to them how safe that base jumping was. How many times she had done it, she had never gotten hurt. Yet, she stood at the top of that mountain and she leaped off. And as her husband watched and several others that were there, her parachute didn't open properly. And she fell for over 20 seconds and then crashed to her death. She paid for her rebellion with her life. Well, if you're like me, this sounds very foolish. But you know what? It's no more foolish than willfully going against God. Willfully going against the authorities that he set up in this world. What will your rebellion cost you? I can't answer that. All I know is that when you and I rebel, we are traveling down a road of destruction. But the good news is rebellion is a choice, and it's a choice that we make. We all make that choice many times in our lives, but we don't have to keep making that choice. We don't have to live with the guilt of our rebellion. God has done the most amazing thing when he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for the people like you and me, those that rebel against him. Those that are not obedient people. But he died to transform the rebels and all of us to become children of God. The other good news that I can tell you is that you're not too far gone. I don't care how far you've rebelled. There may be a consequence from your rebellion, but God will forgive you of that. And he will transform you into being a child of the king. He will be Lord of your life if you will just submit to his authority. Yes, as a society, we do honor and sometimes put on a pedestal the rebel. Now, again, what I want you to understand, I'm not always talking about the rebel or rebellion like with the Confederate flag or the Southern heritage, but I'm talking about an attitude of the heart, an attitude that dishonors God and the authority that he's put into place, an attitude that hurts others, that puts us on a road to destruction. Jesus Christ came and he died to save you and me from our rebellion. He died to transform a rebellious heart and turn it into a loving and a giving heart. My question for you today is, are you willing to admit that you have rebellion in your heart? Are you willing, though, to lay it down before God at his feet and submit your life to him? Won't you do that? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today, Lord, and we thank you for this passage of Scripture, Lord. It's a passage of Scripture where we all see ourselves in it. We're like Sheba. We are that rebellion against you. Your word tells us that even when we rebelled against you, that you sent your son to die for us. Lord, help us see the rebellion against the authority we have in our life. But Lord, really open our eyes to see the rebellion that we have against you. Lord, help those that have asked you to be Lord of their life, show those spots where they haven't given that part, where they're still rebelling against you, even though they've given most of their life to you, they haven't given all of it to you. Lord, I pray for the one that has never given their life to you. Lord, that today would be the day. Lord, that they would admit that they are a rebel, that they are against your authority. And Lord, that they understand one day they will stand on a judgment day and there will be a judge that will judge them for their rebellion. Lord, I pray today that they would say, I'm a sinner. I've fallen short of the mark that you have set before me, Lord, and I ask you to be Lord in my life. 
Lord, I believe on your finished work on the cross that you came and you died for me. You took my sins and you nailed them to the cross. Lord, that you overcame death so that we can live with you for eternity. And Lord, I pray right now that you would just come in and I die and I submit to your authority. And Lord, that they would confess that before men and they'll chase after you. Lord, for the ones that do have some areas where that they have not submitted completely. Lord, I pray today that they will just lay those at your feet. Lord, they'll say, I need you to come in and help me overcome this. Lord, I need to walk in your spirit every day and quit walking in my flesh. I need to quit doing it in my strength and do it in your strength. Lord, we thank you for all your blessings. Lord, we thank you for the finished work on the cross. Lord, we thank you for the blessings you send to this ministry. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.